Chapter 1 Under the Gaze of the Buddhas Her name was Zakya. Shortly before midnight on the freezing cold eve of the Persian New Year of 1393, she lay fully clothed on her thin mattress on the concrete floor and considered what she was about to do. She had on all her colorful layers, a long dress with leggings under it, a ragged pink sweater, and a long orange and purple scarf, but no coat, because she did not own one. The only thing she did not have on were her four-inch open-toed high heels, since no one would wear shoes indoors in Afghanistan. Instead, the heels were positioned beside her mattress, neatly left shoe on the left, right on the right, next to the little photograph she had of Ali, the boy she loved. It was not the best escape gear for what she was about to do, climb a wall and run off into the mountains, but it would soon be her wedding day, and she wanted to look good. That night of March 20th, 2014, was not the first time Zakia had contemplated escaping from the Bamyan women's shelter, which had been her home, her refuge, and her prison for the past six months, since the day she ran away from home in the hope of marrying Ali. Always before, her nerve had failed her. Two of the other girls who shared her room were awake as well, but they would make no move unless she did first. Though Zakia was still terrified and did not know if she had the courage to leave, she felt she was fast running out of both time and opportunity. This was no small thing. Although Zakia was then 18 and legally an adult, a voluntary shelter resident rather than a prisoner, and in the eyes of Afghan law, she was free to go whenever she pleased. But the law is only what men make it, and nowhere is that more true than in Afghanistan. What Zakia was about to do would change not only her life and that of Ali, who waited for her call on the other side of the Bamyan Valley. She understood that it would change the lives of nearly everyone they knew. Her father, Zaman, and her mother, Sabza, her many brothers, and her male first cousins, they would all give up their farm and devote their lives to hunting down Zakia and Ali, publicly vowing to kill them for the crime of being in love. Ali's father, Anwar, would be forced into such debt that his eldest son would lose his inheritance and most of the family's crops would be forfeited for years to come. Others would be touched in unexpected ways. A woman named Fatima Kazimi, who ran the women's ministry in Bamyan and had recently saved Zakia from being killed by her family, would flee to exile in Africa. Shmuli Boteik, a rabbi from New Jersey who that night scarcely knew how to pronounce Zakia's name, would end up consumed by her case, lobbying at the highest levels of the United States government to intervene on her behalf. In the course of it all, this illiterate and impoverished girl who did not know her numbers up to ten and had never seen a television set would become the most recognizable female face on the Afghan airwaves. She would become a hero to every young Afghan woman who dreams of marrying the one she loves rather than the one chosen for her by her family, sight unseen. To the conservative elders who preside over their country's patriarchy, however, 
Zakia would become the fallen woman whose actions threatened the established social order, actions that were yet more evidence of the deplorable interference of foreigners in Afghanistan's traditional culture. That is where I came in, because the articles I wrote about Zakia and Ali in the New York Times in 2014 would bring them that fame and arouse the ire of the conservative Afghan establishment. I didn't know it at the time, but before long I would become their best hope to survive, entangling myself in their lives in ways that threatened my own values and professional ethics. That night, though, on the eve of the spring equinox and the Persian New Year, I had no idea what they were up to and was three days' travel away from them elsewhere in Afghanistan. We were the last people on one another's minds. I had visited them in Bamiyan only a month earlier, so when I later heard what had happened, it was easy enough to picture the scene. For some reason, the words of the Robert Browning poem Porphyria's Lover sprung to mind, perhaps because it was about an impatient lover awaiting the arrival of his beloved.'